Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Are we at a place where we should put our um, book pages together and read? Ugh, I guess so. I have to tell you, I'm terrified. I feel sick. But, yeah, we <laughs> well, you, you know how judgy I am and how perfect mine will be. <laughs> Better than mine. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Ojai, right outside of LA. And with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the cancellation of Fantasy Island. It's very sad. So sad. But the good news is we're also going to reveal what we planned for season three so you won't be left hanging. We're also going to talk about strike silver linings. Shockingly, Sarah, there are some. And speaking of the strike, this week's Hollywood Hack will let you get something cool and support the Hollywood community. Finally, I have a book recommendation. But first, Sarah, we have this update from Carrie. I'm just going to read it and then we can discuss She said, hi, Liz and Sarah. I thought since you were on strike, I should write and thank you for the advice you gave about negotiations. I was listening to your 300th episode, and one of the things a listener mentioned was the wish-want-walk advice about negotiating. Ironically, when I listened to that episode, I was newly elected to be a negotiator for my local teachers union. We had dinner with staff from every building in our district and asked them that question. What do you wish for, pie in the sky? What do you want? When do you want us to walk away from the table? Not strike, but what contract would they not sign? These three questions have given us a great baseline of where our 258 members are at in terms of what they want for a raise. We have gained so much valuable information that we are taking into negotiations. We've only sat down at the table three times so far, and we've not talked about money yet, so I'm not sure if we'll get what we want. But those three questions have given us a fantastic starting point and been a great conversation starter for our members. I think more of us are learning to ask for what we are really worth and acknowledge that it is okay to ask for what you are worth. 
Teachers often undervalue themselves and sacrifice for the good of their students. It is my hope that even if we don't get our pie in the sky, we get closer to what we are worth. Thank you for that nugget that's been so valuable in our negotiations. I hope your strike gets you what you want. And Carrie is in Minnesota. So Sarah, she's referring um, to the advice we got from Michael Donaldson, who we had in episode 107 of Happier in Hollywood, and he wrote a book called Fearless Negotiating. Yes. In that episode, he goes into the whole process of wish, want, walk. So I definitely recommend listening. It's such a great idea. He has such a smart approach to negotiating. And of course, we have been trying to live by the wish, want, walk method as well. Yes. I'm glad that that's helping teachers out there in Minnesota. Yeah. Okay, Liz, it's time for From the Treadmill Desks Of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And for obvious reasons, this week it is the fact that Fantasy Island was finally canceled. Yes. They dragged out the process about as long as they possibly could have. Yes, they did. So, Sarah, I am sorry to report that my manifesting of season three failed. I'm always Uh. bragging about my ability to manifest, and this time it did not work. Well, some things are just not meant to be. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> so we'll just talk a little bit about it. So the last episode of the season, what turned out to be the series, aired May 8th. And you and I had the writers over for dinner and to watch the episode, which was so just nice to share that moment with them. Yes. And then the next afternoon, we got the call. Yes. But we have to say it was not a surprise. No. And I'm going to sow some bitter oats for a moment because, I mean, our feeling is they literally could not have done more to get the show off the air if they had tried. Aside from moving our season, which they said was a good thing and said they were going to promote us extra because they were moving our season. Instead, we did not get extra promotion. And it was like, oh, well, it's season two. It's like, well, yes, but you've completely changed when we're on the television. And then, of course, they premiered us on the worst possible night, January 2nd, when no one is watching (laughs) television. (laughs) Yes. And it turned out, Sarah, that it was the football game where a football player collapsed and it was a huge media event. Yes. And then they kept preempting us and moved our time and all of these things. So it was impossible to find the show even if you wanted to watch it. So not that we're bitter, but we're a little bitter. Here's what I will say as a comfort to me, and you and I have discussed this. I don't think there's anything else we could have done to make the show a success. I don't look back and say, if only we'd had this other storyline, if only... We had more days to shoot, if only this or that. I feel like we put out the show that we wanted to and we were proud of. Our cast was incredible. Incredible. And I just don't think there's anything else we could have done. I think there's things other people could have done. Indeed. But you and I (laughs) and our cast and our writers, I feel like we did our jobs. Yes, I completely agree. And that does help. I mean, I think we have done... Other shows that we thought, oh, shoot, we should have done this, we should have done that. And then you kind of live with this sick feeling. And in this case, at least, we will not have that. We're very proud of the show. And we got the sweetest text from our friend, Corrine, who was a writer on the show also, saying, like, you guys should actually look at the comments on Deadline. Like, these are things that you want to usually avoid, like the plague. But she was like, I looked, and I think you should look. And 
were so many comments and they, it was all people saying, no, this is terrible. It was so nice. And it actually really helped me feel better. It helped me feel better too. And I do want to say that we had such good relationships with all of our executives. Yeah. So as we kind of go off on what was done wrong, they were very supportive in the creative and in the making of the show. It's really only sort of at a different level that it wasn't supported. Yes. And I think that's also part of why we're so bummed about it is because we really love the people we were making the show with, yes. both on the studio and network side and obviously our writers and our cast. So and it crew, just sucks yeah. to not be working with them. So, you know, Sarah, as sad as we are, it is a relief just to be able to move on because we have been sort of bracing ourselves for this for now months, I months think. Months and months, yes. And even though we kind of saw the writing on the wall with how the show was being handled, until you know, you don't know. And you yeah. hold out this hope. And hope is the thing that makes you lay awake at night. So at least we can move on. And then it's funny because, I mean, for 20 years, our whole goal was to get a show on the air and get a season two. Yes. Right? Get a show on the air and get a season two. We did that. Yay! Okay? New goal. New goal. New goal. Now our goal is to get a show on the air and get to season three. Yes, indeed. So thank you to everyone who watched the show. We really do appreciate it. Thank you to the people who made comments, whether they're on Facebook or Deadline or anywhere else. We appreciate your sadness that accompanies our sadness. <laughs> yes, and thanks to everyone who worked on the show. We've, yes, we've been so hearing much. from a lot of people, from editors or casting director, or crew. So thank you to everybody. And now, Sarah, we begin again. Yes, we do. And I mean, I think part of also why it's not so crushing, aside from the fact that we basically knew it was coming, is that we do have a lot of various things in the works yes. at kind of different stages in the process. So it's just like, well, you know, as soon as the strike's over, it's not like we're just going to be twiddling our thumbs. We'll be jumping right back into the whole process. Yeah, we have three pilots in various stages of development. So cannot wait to get back to them. Yes. All right, coming up, we've been getting lots of questions about this. So we are going to tell you what season three would have been. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Sarah, it's time for the craft and fame where we talk about the craft of television writing because, yes, it's an art, but it's also a craft. And part of our craft is thinking about the future and you and I had done quite a bit of talking about what the future of Fantasy Island would have been in season three. Yes, because, of course, one of the things you want to do in a season is set the foundation for where you're going in the next season so everything builds and flows together. And the main thing we were going to do is get deeper into the island mythology. Yes, so people may remember Fernando, who we've mentioned a bunch of times, who was the host of the island before Elena and is Elena's cousin and was her best friend growing up. 
And bad things happened because the (laughs) island didn't want Fernando to be the guardian of the island. So through his story, we were going to reveal the past and also find out what was behind the sweet door that was rattling at the end of episode 107 where Segunda went and put the big lock on the door. Yes, and this is kind of a behind-the-scenes interesting thing. We had decided that the reason Elena was no longer sleeping at her beautiful Spanish house was because when she was there, she was having nightmares about Fernando. So she had started to stay at her beautiful beach house. Now, this is like a chicken before the egg or egg before the chicken kind of thing, because really what it was is we could not get access to Siesta Alegre where we shot her house. It's so beautiful, but they were having all these weddings there. So... We could not get in to shoot. So instead, we shot at the governor's beach house, which we couldn't get on season one. So we we kind of created this thing about (laughs) Fernando and the dreams to make sense of that. Yes, and the idea was that Rourke and everyone assumes Fernando is dead, but actually Fernando was out there and he's in sort of the fantasy world and trying to get back. Yes, that the island's way of getting rid of him because the island didn't like him and he wasn't the kind of conscientious host that Elena is, was to put him in a fantasy and not let him out. And part of um, what was going to be really fun next season is we were going to bring Fernando's mom, who's Rourke's aunt, to the island. And that was going to just give us this great opportunity for to get some amazing actress in the show. And of course, dive really deeply into Rourke's personal life and family history and give Javier a way to see her in a completely different way. So we were just going to expand our knowledge of Rourke and and her whole life, which would have been super fun. Yes, a big, just everything Rourke. Yes. And then on the Ruby side, she was, of course, going to continue to look for love, her journey of sort of exploring who she is in this new chance of life. People have asked a lot, were we going to see Isla again? People are very invested in Ruby (laughs) and Isla. And yes, we were going to see Isla again because we'd planned a mermaid follow-up. Yes. So we talked in season two about the guest who'd disappeared with the mermaids, gone to live with the mermaids um, when Mr. Rourke was the host. And that guest all these years later, was going to show up on Fantasy Island. Of course, mermaids don't age, so the guest would have been the same age. I think it was going to be a male guest as he was when he left. So that was going to bring really fun and bring Isla back into our world. Yes, and then Ruby's love was going to be Rourke's aunt, who obviously is a little bit older and Ruby in her heart is a little bit older and trying to learn how to be young again. So we were going to have them be each other's true loves because they understand each other on a deeper level. And then the aunt was going to hopefully stay on the island. So Ruby was going to sort of have a happy romantic ending in this season. And then Rourke was going to have a not happy romantic ending because in trying to rescue her beloved cousin, Fernando, from the limbo in which he is stuck, Javier was going to sacrifice himself to get Fernando out because he knows how much Elena loves Fernando and how important it is. And then Javier was going to be stuck as we entered theoretical season four, and then we have to save Javier. 
Yes, Javier was going to end up stuck in a fantasy. And then, of course, we would have had all these wonderful uh, fantasies as well. Yeah. And we had a list. We have a whole list of all the fantasies we would like to do. But say lovey. Oh, uh, yes. Maybe <laughs> we'll write some Fantasy Island fan fiction, Sarah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, Liz, it's time for Take a Hike, where we talk about physical, mental, and spiritual health. Today, it's physical and mental. Striking is tough and challenging and mentally and emotionally hard, but there are some silver linings. Yes, it is so nice to see friends, both in person on the picket line and then all these pictures everyone is posting. It's like a reunion every day of the week. Yes, and I am so enjoying because I'm not getting into picket as much as you from Ohio. And I'm loving, like, my Instagram and Facebook feeds right now. It's just so great to see, like, groups of people from a show are taking pictures together. And then you'll send a picture of, like, here I am with TJ and Machine, you know, which yeah. is so fun. It's definitely kind of brings up the mood of the whole thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I saw Boifwa, one of our former assistants, the other day. I have to send you a picture I took of the two of us. She's now, for listeners who remember Boifwa, she's now, I think, an executive story editor. So, And then the walking is good. The walking is very good. Yes. I got a new pair of hokas just to, like, keep me inspired (laughs) to keep my feet happy while I'm walking on the picket line. And I also, on the days when I'm not going in, I actually have been hiking because I'm like, I got to be prepared for the picketing walking. It's tiring. That's amazing. Well, I have to come to Ojai and take a hike with you because that's on my 23 for 23 list. Oh, good. Um, And then, Sarah, it is just deeply moving and inspiring to see the people who are showing up at 4.30 in the morning to picket gates where they know production is happening and they stop the trucks from entering because the Teamsters have been incredibly supportive and often are not crossing picket lines. These people who will show up at 4.30 in the morning are shutting down productions, which is one of the big tools in a strike to hopefully get everyone to the table faster. I mean, that's our goal is to get people to the table, get people moving, right, on on the deal. And that's a really important way to do it. Yes, and taking the negotiation seriously. And what I'm loving is, like, these people are not just in L.A. There's so many people in New York doing this. People, I think, in Georgia. Yes, people all over the country where there are productions are getting out and— shutting things down. And the Teamsters supporting us is just such a huge, huge thing because they're really, like if they're supporting us, we actually can shut stuff down. And yeah, that is a huge pain point. Even though I I feel guilty talking about causing them pain, which I shouldn't because I know they don't feel guilty about causing us pain. (laughs) I know because (laughs) here's what's tricky in the strike is for all writers, we have many personal business relationships, personal and business relationships with with people who work at all of these companies and that we care about them and we know they care about us on a personal level. And so it makes the whole thing very emotionally fraught, essentially. But we have a feeling of solidarity and being part of something bigger. 
clearly there's stuff going on that needs to be addressed. And the whole community is sort of coming together to say, hey, we have to address this. Yeah, and it's not really even about us. I mean, in this case, right. it kind of is because the issues are so pressing. But I remember in the 2007-2008 strike, Sean Ryan gave a big speech to a lot of people about how previous strikes were done for us. And we have all of these things, pension and health and residuals in the first place, because people were willing to put their jobs on the line, their livelihoods, their relationships, all of these things on the line for us. So you do feel part of the continuity of writers and creators and in this case, everyone who makes TV and film, because we're all in this together. Yes. And that's, I mean, it's like a weirdly emotional thing. I'm like, yes, we must do this for the yes, future. Absolutely, those future writers. Sarah, another silver lining, meeting podcast listeners. Yeah. We've had people come up to us picketing and say, oh, I listen to Happier in Hollywood. I feel like I know you. And I've met some great people, met a woman the other day, uh, Melissa Carter, another showrunner, and I'm like, how do we not know this person? This is our long-lost friend. So please, if you do see us on the picket line and you want to say hi, please come um, and say hi, because we are loving meeting these writers. Yeah, so while being on strike does completely suck in a multitude of ways, there are yeah. many, many silver linings and. <laughs> We're just going to focus on those. Yes, exactly. We're trying. All right, coming up, we have a great way to show support for everyone impacted by the strike. But first, this break. Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's Hollywood Hack. Now, we have been getting lots of questions about how people can support writers. And one great way is to buy products that support the strike, particularly ones with proceeds going to the Entertainment Community Fund, which gives emergency financial assistance. And we talked about this the other day with Nicole Yorkin, who's a member of the negotiating committee. Because it's more than just writers who are hurting because of the strike. Obviously, it's many people who aren't being able to work because writers aren't working. So it may be anyone, again, from a teamster to someone who does lighting, to makeup, to hair, wardrobe, everybody. Yeah, so the Entertainment Community Fund is a wonderful way to support just people who are working in the industry right now and support writers by getting cool gear from people who are donating their proceeds to the Entertainment Community Fund. And we'll put a list of as many as we can find in our show notes this week. But we'll tell you some right now. There's WGAStrikeShirts.com. Has some great shirts, and all the proceeds go to the Entertainment Community Fund. There's a Union Solidarity shirt available on Bonfire. There's some really fun strike gear on cottonbureau.com. You just put in WGA strike gear, go to cottonbureau.com, put in WGA strike gear, and you'll find that. And then my personal favorite is if you want a dog shirt or a bandana for your canine, I suppose this could also be for um, 
cats or any other animal. I could put a bandana on my rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> you can go to wga-dogs.printify.me. So I got a shirt for crackers. I wasn't sure about the size, so I didn't do cheesy yet. But now that I know, I will get cheesy an extra large because they're on the smaller side. Just heads up. Many great things to buy for a good cause, Sarah. Yes. Okay, finally, it is time for this week's uh, recommendation. Every week we recommend a book or a podcast or a movie or really anything we feel like recommending. And Sarah, this week you have a book to recommend. Yes, and specifically in the audiobook form. I just listened to The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, which I think is a book that's doing extremely well already, but I just loved it. And I really loved it because the narrator, Polly Stone, does such a beautiful job. Like it's a very emotional book and she really makes you feel all the emotional nuance and the tension and like, she just completely sucked me into this book. It's wonderful. Yeah, you got me to read it too, and I loved it. And it's about two sisters in the French resistance in World War II. It's a, just a great, and it's 17 hours, I think. So you yes. really have a lot to listen to. And I, in fact, listened to part of it while picketing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. If you have questions or comments, you can always email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please follow us if you haven't already. Thank you to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. And thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and everything happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at sfain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Now, Sarah, the other day at Disney, they had picket line karaoke. And I'm like, all right, Sarah, you have a great voice. I want you to use that voice. I want you to come and do karaoke at the picket line. All right. Well, next time I'll be there. Think about what song you want to sing. Oh, God. Okay. From the Onward Project.